warfare. I just want to tell you that all week I've been fighting a spiritual warfare, creating a sermon about spiritual warfare. So uh, I'm excited about it, though, and it's really come, come, come together well. And uh, so I pray that you're going to be blessed by it. You know, before Easter, uh, I preached a, four, a series of four messages entitled, Let's Get Ready to Rumble. You remember that? Where Jesus was fighting with the devil and the temptations in the wilderness. Well, it's important for us to know that Jesus' life was not a playground when he was here on earth. Amen? But it's also important for us to know it's not a playground for us either. This is not a playground. Uh, while there is plenty of enjoyment, there's a lot of pleasure in this life. It's certainly a lot of pleasure as believers in Jesus. There is also a battle that has been ensued against you. It comes as a shock to many new believers that um, the Christian life is not a playground. It's not a playground. Instead, it's a battleground. And we need to know that. And as Paul finishes the letter to the church of Ephesus, the Holy Spirit directs him to tell Christians two commands. Briefly put, they are be strong and put on. And we're going to take the next several weeks to decipher what Paul meant to you and I about being strong and putting on. If you would, uh, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, and I'm actually going to read out of a different translation because I really want you to understand this. I want you to get this. I want you to understand it in words that are easy for you to understand. In Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10, the Word of God says... A final word. Paul was getting ready to go to Rome, and he was getting ready to be uh, uh, executed. And so he gives these Christians, say Christians, these are Christians he's writing to. He gives them a final word and says, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. No, we are fighting against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on, put on every piece of God's armor so that you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, what did I say to start with? This ain't a playground. This is a battleground. He says, then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Therefore, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the breastplate of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. And above all, hold up the shield of faith with which you'll be able to stop the fiery arrows of the devil, put on salvation as your helmet, and take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert. Be persistent in your prayers for all the believers everywhere. And Paul says, and pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so that I can boldly explain God's mysteries and his plan of the good news, which is for Jews and Gentiles 
alike. Friend, you are not in a playground. You as a Christian, as a child of God, are in a battleground. And who are the targets of this battle? Who are the targets of these rulers and authorities in the unseen world? Toward whom do the mighty powers in the dark world focus their attack? To whom do the evil spirits aim their weapons? Friend, it's at you. The Christian is the target of this battleground. Yet most of them don't even know there's a battle going on. Today, I want to just begin to share with you a few things you need to know in order to win this battle. A couple things you need to know. If you're going to win this battle, first, you've got to realize you're in one. Amen? I pray that you heard the word of God and you realize you're in a battle. If you're going to win this battle, you need to know who or what you're fighting. Amen? If you're going to win this battle, you've got to possess power for the victory. And if you're going to win this battle, you must equip yourselves with the weapons to attack the enemy and equip yourselves with the protection you need to defend yourself. Those are things that you need in order to win this battle. Ephesians 6.12 told us clearly that Christians are in a battle. For we do not fight against flesh and blood enemies. No, we fight against principalities and powers, rulers of the darkness, spiritual entities of wickedness in heavenly places. Friend, our warfare, our battleground is not flesh and blood. Your battleground is not with another person. It's in the spiritual realm. We need to understand that. We face enemies. Who are these enemies? Paul says that the Christian's enemies are three. The world, the flesh, and the devil. How do you know that, Brother Bill? I said, well, let me show you. In Ephesians chapter 2, listen to what he wrote to some more believers. He said, and you he made alive who were dead in your sins, which you once walked according to the course of this world. There's one of your enemies. And you also walked according to the prince of the power of the air. There's the devil, that's your second enemy. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh. There's your third enemy. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And all of those are coming against you in the spiritual realm. And the earlier you recognize it, the better off you'll be. You need to know who you're fighting. But first you need to know that you are in a battle. So we face that external enemy. The world. A world that despises the cause of Jesus. He's your, that world is your enemy. You see, the world strives to make you adhere to a, a life apart from God. If they can succeed in bringing you into a life that's apart from God, then the world has succeeded. This is why God says in his word, do not love the world or the things in the world. For if the love of the world is in you, the father of love, the God, the father's love is not in you. Which one do you love, the world or the father? 
But we also face an internal enemy. That internal enemy is the flesh. That old nature of sin. That old person that was crucified and laid to rest. See, when we got saved, friend, that old person died. And a new person took up residence in you. The Holy Spirit of God took up residence inside you. So now there's a war going on every single minute of every single day. The Bible says that old sinful nature loves to do evil. That old sinful nature loves to do evil, which is just exactly the opposite of what the Spirit wants to do in your life. And those two forces are constantly fighting each other so that your choices are never free from this conflict. The Spirit within you fights the flesh within you. Paul said, what I want to do, I don't do. And what I don't want to do, I do do. Amen? Amazing. Even the Apostle Paul, perhaps the greatest missionary, perhaps the greatest preacher, had the same struggle that you and I had. We struggle with the flesh. But there's also a third enemy, that infernal enemy. He's the devil. He's real. He roams the earth like a roaring lion, seeking to whom he may devour. And listen to this. He's got quite a following. He's got demonic beings following him. But guess what? He's also got human beings following him. He's got quite the army. So, that being the case, for the next several weeks, we're going to learn how to fight. Amen? We're going to learn how to fight this evil, infernal enemy, and we're going to learn how to win this battle for a victorious Christian life. But first, I want to remind you. I want to remind you that we don't fight for victory We fight from victory. Jesus has already won the victory. It's important that we know that. In 1 John 5, 4, the Bible says, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Our faith in who? Our faith in who? Jesus. That's exactly right. Jesus has already assured us of the victory. We must simply listen carefully. If you're listening, say amen. Here's what you got to do. If you place your faith in Jesus Christ, now you must appropriate that faith. You must make use of your faith in Jesus. You must permit that change in your life to come and bear fruit in your life. You must make use of what Jesus has done for you and let other people see what he's done. It's important that we do that, friend, because the victory is already won. The problem is we just don't act like it. The problem is we just don't appropriate the faith that we have in Jesus. So here's the key. Listen carefully. The prize is waiting for you. The prize is waiting for you, but listen where it's at. The prize is waiting for you, but the prize is at the finish line. Amen? The prize is at the finish line. You must make it to the line. Then when you get to the line, you can claim that prize that Jesus has already won for you. I pray you'll fight the good fight of faith and make it to the finish line. Now, in the Old Testament, Joshua led God's people throughout the promised land, and he wasn't winning victories. He was claiming victories. 
He wasn't winning victories. He was claiming already assured, pre-guaranteed victories that God had already won. He was trusting and obeying and following God's lead. He was kicking tails and taking names. Claiming the victories that had already been won. God said, go here. I've already defeated them. Go claim the victory. We need to do the same thing. Joshua's first stop was a town called Jericho. You may know that Jericho represents the world. But it's funny that God never told uh, Joshua to fight against Jericho. What did he tell uh, Joshua to do at Jericho? Walk around the city. That's all he said. He said, I don't want you fighting them. I don't want you fighting them. I just want you to walk around the city. I want you to march around the city. Friend, we cannot overcome this world by fighting it. We don't overcome the world by fighting it. John wrote, it's faith that overcomes the world. Let Jesus do it. Let Jesus defeat the world. You just place your faith in him. Now, Joshua's next stop was a little bitty village called Ai. Say Ai. Very good. Good pronunciation. Ai represents the flesh. All right? Now, Ai was so small that Joshua got to thinking, you know, I don't need to send my whole army over there. They're so puny, we'll take them easily. See, Joshua was thinking with his flesh. He was putting his confidence in his flesh. He was saying, you know what? We really don't need you this time, God. We got this one. Amen. You ever done that? Don't worry, God. I got this. I can handle it. And so we try to do something with confidence in what we can do. Confidence in the flesh. I've done it. So they get to Ai, and God's people were utterly destroyed. 39 people dead, and the rest of the army ran away. From this little bitty army in what city? Ai. Joshua's soldiers, they melted with fear. They said, well, we thought God was on our side. But God said, listen here, there's sin in the camp. There's a man named Achan who has disobeyed me. He has taken for himself some loot from the victory over in Jericho. And I will not tolerate that kind of blatant disobedience and still give my blessings. It's not going to happen. So what did they do? Joshua and his people, they say we're going to get right with God. They gave Achan his just punishment. They got right with God. They put away the fleshly desires out of the camp. And once again, they began walking in the victory of God. Friend, confession and repentance overcome the flesh. Just like they did at Ai. When sin comes into your life as a result of the flesh, you must confess and turn away from it. Just like they did in Ai. Now, the next stop was a little town called Gibeon. Gibeon represents the devil. And you need to hear this one. Gibeon uh, was a medium-sized city. And God had warned his people not to be making treaties and pacts with unbelievers in Canaan. But the citizens there in Gibeon were very slick. You ever met some slick people before? These people in Gibeon were real slick, they were really sly, and they were really clever. 
And so what they did is the Gibeonites set up a deception. They set up a deception. And what they did was, is they put on worn out shoes on their feet. They took moldy bread and put it in their little knapsacks. Then they also put uh, wine into cracked wineskins. And they went over to Joshua and they said, Joshua, we have traveled from far, far away. We are on your side. Who does Gibeon represent? The devil. That's what the devil will try to get you to believe, that he is on your side. But friend, don't fall for that deception. Don't fall for that lie, lest you find the same problem that you will encounter with Joshua. Joshua said, sorry, we don't make treaties with people in Canaan. We don't make pacts with people in Canaan. And so they responded with a lie. They said, but we're not Canaanites. We've traveled from far, far away. Well, as it turned out, Joshua fell for that deception, and it came back to haunt him for years. Friend, when Satan uses deception in your life, you must trust the Word of God. Just like Jesus did in the wilderness, you must trust the Word of God. You must trust that God, what God said is right. Because God's Word is what will overcome the devil. Okay? Now, in Greek mythology... There was a great warrior named Achilles. Achilles, according to myth, was born to a goddess mother. She was a Greek mythological goddess. And his goddess mother tried to make Achilles immortal by dipping him in the river called Styx uh, so that he would be immortal. But she had to hold him by his heel. And so as a baby, she dips the baby all the way into the river sticks to try to make him immortal. And that only left one part of his body that was vulnerable. What part was that? His heel. Right? So later on as he grows up, it seems like nobody can whoop him. Nobody can beat Achilles. He's like an immortal. Many conquests, many victories. And then all of a sudden, one day, Achilles is killed by Paris of Troy when he fires an arrow, and guess where that arrow went? Specifically, his Achilles heel. Why in the world would Brother Bill bring up a Greek mythological character like Achilles? Friend, here's the reason. If we are going to win this battle against our enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil, if we're going to win, if we're going to enjoy this victory that Jesus gave us, friend, we must have complete protection. Head to toe and everything in between. There can be no area left undefended. There can be no enemy left unrecognized. There can be no weapon left unused. Because the very area of your life that you leave unguarded is the very place Satan is going to attack. He will find your Achilles heel and he will fire away until he wins the battle. So we must address every enemy. Address every part of our lives. So the Bible tells us emphatically that Christians are in a battle, 
but it also tells us that we have the strength of the Lord and the power of his might right here at our fingertips. But the Bible also tells us who we are fighting. The world is not a who, and the flesh is not a who, but the person that we are fighting is Satan. He's God's enemy, and if you didn't know it already, he's your enemy as well. So let's ask this question. In all reality, who is this enemy of God, this enemy of ours? Well, let me tell you what he isn't first. He doesn't have horns. He doesn't have a tail. He doesn't carry a pitchfork. He's not red, unless you like red. Amen. You like pink, he'll be pink. He uses the world and he uses the flesh against you. He's very real. He's not just a symbol of evil. He is active in this world, and get this, he's especially active in the church. That's right. He's especially active in your life. Remember Ephesians 6? In Ephesians 6, Paul was not writing to a bunch of pagan idol worshipers. Paul was writing... To a church. Paul was writing to a bunch of believers. He was writing to you and to me. Now, I don't believe that the devil really concentrates his efforts on nightclubs and bars. He's got them right where they need to be. Charles Spurgeon said, Satan never kicks a dead horse. Or a dead church. I believe Satan's attack is centered on rooms full of true believers just like this one. Hmm. Why would he do that? Why would he come against a room full of true believers? Why? Because the word of God is the greatest threat against the devil. And what are we here doing? We're talking about the word of God. We're asking the Lord to use the Word of God to change us to be more like Jesus. And let me tell you what, the enemy does not like that. He would like nothing better than to do damage to this church. He'd like nothing better than to do damage in your life so that it might kill your testimony and the testimony of this church. Wow. So as we study this enemy, there's two common mistakes we need to be aware of. First of all, let us be sure that we don't maximize his influence. See, you can't pin every sinful thing you do on Satan. Amen? Uh, if God were to cast Satan into the pits of hell today, you would still sin. I would still sin. You'd be shocked to know how much of your sin is your own sinful desire. But please realize that Satan is only a created being. In Ezekiel chapter 28, the Bible makes it clear that Lucifer is a created being. He was anointed when he was in heaven. He was beautiful. He was wise. And he was assigned to guard the mountain of God. 
Listen to what Ezekiel says. Thus says the Lord, You, Lucifer, were the seal of perfection. You were full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God, and every precious stone was your covering. You were clothed in sardius and topaz, diamond and beryl and onyx and jasper. You were clothed in sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes. It seems that the enemy had something to do with music before he was cast down. Was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers, that is, the mighty guardian angel. I established you, God said. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth amidst the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created until sin was found in you. You became filled with violence within and you sinned, therefore I cast you down as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O mighty guardian angel. Your heart was lifted up in pride. Because of your beauty, you corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor, and I cast you down. Satan had it going on in heaven. Lucifer was a mighty guardian angel on the mountain of God before he was cast down. Because of his knack for violence, because of his prideful heart, Lucifer was cast out. He was banished. He was permanently expelled from the mountain of God. So he is a created being. So he's only got so much power because he is a created being. He's not God. So don't maximize his influence. He's not God. Satan is not all-powerful. Satan is not all-knowing. He can't read your mind. And he's not everywhere at one time like God is. So don't maximize his influence, but also you better be careful not to minimize his influence either. Countless Christians become easy prey for the devil because they ignore his devices. First of all, you need to know the reason why is because he's a corrupted being. Ezekiel 28, 15 said, You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created until iniquity was found in you. Verse 17 said, Your heart was filled up because of your beauty. And you have corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor, so I cast you down. And then it's interesting, in Isaiah chapter 14, for those of you on our Wednesday morning Bible study, you remember our Isaiah study? And we talked about Lucifer and when he was cast down. Well, in chapter 14 of Isaiah, Isaiah reveals Satan's big problem. Satan's biggest problem is he's got an eye problem. Say, I've got an eye problem. Not an eye problem. An eye problem. Listen to what Isaiah wrote. How you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, 
son of the morning? How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I, say I, I will ascend to heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to hell to the lowest depths of the pit. He's a corrupted being. You see, Lucifer was not satisfied with his lofty position. He wanted to be God. And the rest of the story tells us in Revelation that he's going to make another attempt to try to take the place of God. But friend, know this. He's only a created being. But he is corrupted. He is corrupted. And because he's corrupted, he wants to take you down with him. But also, you need to know that he's a condemned being. That's the good news for you and I. He is a condemned being. Verse 16 in Ezekiel 28 said, You became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you down as a profane thing. Isaiah said, Yet you shall be brought down to hell to the lowest depths of the pit. He is a condemned being. And listen, friends. He knows He's a condemned being. Satan knows that his days are numbered. Satan knows that his time is short. And all he wants to do is take you down with him. Like Lucifer, when you and I decide to do our own will instead of God's will, we are setting ourselves up for a big fall. We're setting ourselves up to be cast down. Lucifer said, I will go up above the stars. I will go up above the most high. I will go above the throne of God. But God said, no, you won't. You'll go down. You'll go down. Peter quoted Proverbs chapter 3 saying, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then he goes on to say, Therefore, friend, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Have you found yourself to be too proud to humble yourself and receive God's grace? God's promise is this. If you're listening, say amen. God's promise is this. If you've been too proud to receive God's grace, if you continue in that way, like Lucifer, you will be cast down. I didn't say it. The scriptures said it. But if you humble yourself, if you are willing to turn from your sin and cry out to God and trust in His one and only Son to be the Savior for your sins, to be the Lord of your life, then you will be exalted to heaven in due time. Friends, this hits you right in the heart. Because, friend, it's either one or the other. It's black or white. It's Jesus or not. It's up or down. It's heaven or hell. So the choice is yours. Say, yeah, Brother Bill, I'm already a believer. 
But let me ask you this. Are you a follower too? Or do you find yourself to be too proud to follow somebody else? I know a lot of people who claim to be believers, but you know what they're not? They're not followers. They claim that they believe, but they're not disciples. They're not following in what the Lord Jesus instructed them to do. And it makes me wonder. I can only look in the mirror at myself. I can't judge you. But if I'm looking in the mirror, I'm going to say, Bill, you believe, but are you following? And if I have to say, no, I'm not following, then i got to wonder, do you really believe? Only you can answer that question. You know, Jesus had to fight the good fight of faith. Should we have to do any less? Let me ask you this. Whose side are you on anyway? When we're faced with the choice of heaven or hell, we're instantly willing to raise our hand. I believe. But when it costs us something, then all of a sudden our hand starts coming down. What do you believe? Do you believe in Jesus Christ enough to allow him to be the Lord of your life? I pray you do. But if you don't, if you haven't given him that, that profession and that confession and given him your life, Today's your day. The Bible says, behold, today is the day of salvation. So let me pray for you. And you pray for yourself. And you look in that spiritual mirror. And you determine for your own self if you've given your life to the Lord or not. If you have, he'll exalt you to heaven in due time. But if you haven't and you're too proud to do it, the Bible teaches you will be cast down. Father, I pray that every brother and sister in this room can say with the utmost confidence that they are believers and you can tell that I'm a believer by how I live my life, how I talk, the attitudes I have, how I manage my anger. You can tell that I'm a follower of Jesus. Father, I pray if there's even one here today that has not placed their faith in Christ and Him alone for salvation, for heaven. Lord, I pray that today would be their day. Lord, I ask you to do a supernatural work here today. Not as a result of any church or group or preacher, as a result of the grace of God. Lord, do your work. Do it your way. Do it for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said,